Hallelujah. Um, what a presence in the house today. You know, as I was preparing for this message, the Lord kind of in my spirit just began to take me back to where it all began for me as a Christian. And um, some of y'all have heard my testimony before. And, um, but I was, you know, I got baptized when I was 12 years old, but I really um, gave my heart to God when I was 16. And, um, and, you know, some of you might look at me today and you see, you see David up, stand up here as a pastor and you might think, well, he was always this perfect person that he is today. <laughs> well, uh, uh, I'm sorry to disappoint you, that's not true. Uh, and um, so I was going back and thinking about my, my, my time, you know, when I got saved and, and when I was younger and all that kind of stuff. And um, when I was 16 years old, um, I went to Chalmette High School. For those of you all who don't know, this church really was birthed from Chalmette. Um, but after Hurricane Katrina, Pastor Carl and Sister Dawn uh, pioneered this church here in Covington. A lot of our members from Chalmette had moved over here to North Shore after the hurricane. But anyway, I, was, I graduated from Chalmette. I'm not ashamed to say that. And uh, so, um, but I remember back, it is an incident when I was 16 years old when I tripped my geography teacher. And, um, and I'm going I'm, I'm to explain this to you. And uh, so... We were in a math hall upstairs. It was the second floor upstairs in the Shamat High School. And at the time, that, that was a newer addition of the building, which was air-conditioned. Um, but they had air-conditioned when, when I was younger. Just, and we had electricity, too, just so you know that. <laughs> but this part of the building was air-conditioned at the, at, at the top. of the, So it was a nicer room, but it was an open. They had did like an open floor plan. It was the math uh, area upstairs, and it was the, the math area. And so they kind of like, I think they had partitions in between the class, but if you stayed in the middle of the, of the room, if I remember, you could, see into all, you could see into all the rooms. And so the way the rooms were situated, you would, um, the, the class, like you, you were sitting like this, so the teacher would walk in from the back. You know, that's how it became, you, you were facing the front. So I'm sitting on the edge, and, um, and I still do this today, and I think about this every time I do it. I put my foot out like this. I sit, I sit like this, or I sit like that. And I had my foot out like that, and Miss Guidry, Miss Guidry's coming by, and I'm, I'm not kidding. She came by, and all that, she just landed flat, like, falled straight down, just fell. And I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm looking at her, I'm like, I, I just cannot believe that I just tripped my teacher. I mean, I'm just, I'm just trying to think of how, what am I gonna, how am I going to get out of this? What am, what am I going to do? So I'm sitting there, and I'm just panicking, like, you know, Lord, what, what in the world, what just happened here? I mean, she is, she is, she's laid out like laid out on the floor. And I remember looking down at her, and she, she um, I don't, I'm not going to lay down and show you, but she, she was on the floor, she stayed on the floor, and she put her arm, and she went like this, she leaned over, and she grabbed it, it was a little, one of those, those little tiny jawbreakers. She goes, I can't believe it, and she slipped on a jawbreaker. I said, thank you, Jesus, for jawbreakers. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. It was unbelievable. I was like, I really did think that I tripped her. And all I could think was all the other teachers were going to come and come run and say, what in the world did, did, did you do to that? And she, she was just walking, I guess, and she just caught that jawbreaker and she slipped like that. And I'm telling you, when I tell you, she went straight down, like just, just laid out. And it wasn't until several years later that I went back and told her that it was me that scattered the jawbreakers all over the floor before she went. No, I didn't do that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I didn't trip her. Thank you, Jesus. But I really thought that I did. And, um, and then I was thinking back at the time of my salvation. And, uh, you know, like I said, uh, we grew up in a Baptist church. This first Baptist, Araby, was really where I got saved and where I got connected to a youth group. And really where my life began to really connect with God and the things of the Lord. And God really began to give me a heart for him. 
And, um, but after I made that decision when I was 12, um, and I was in the youth group at the church in Araby, you know, we did a lot of youth events. You know, back then, you know, this is going to sound strange to especially the young people in here, but we did a lot of singing. There was, singing was a big part of ministry back then. I don't know if it was like that with the Assemblies of God, but, but back then they, they did choirs. We, we traveled all over, um, all over the uh, country in different churches, mainly in the, in the Bible Belt in Georgia and Alabama, different places. And, we, and now I can't even imagine getting a youth group together and saying, we're going to teach you a musical and you're going to go sing it to another church. But we enjoyed that. We really, we really had a lot of fun. We traveled. We memorized all the, uh, all the music. Some of the music, when I was 12 and 13 years old, I still remember the songs today. And uh, so it was really a neat time. So I was in that environment in the church and, um, and I knew what God would have required of me, but when I got into my young teenage years, I began, I began to hang around with some people and even some people that was in a youth group, and we started to drink a little bit. And I knew in my heart that that wasn't right, that, that, uh, that here I am, I'm in church, I'm saying that I'm serving God and doing all these things, and I was living one way you know, for God on a Saturday night and then a totally different way on a Sunday morning. And I knew that it wasn't right. And it was, it was when I was 16 years old, I was at a, a youth uh, camp in uh, Ridgecrest, North Carolina, and the guy the, gave the invitation for salvation. And y'all, y'all, those of y'all who know, her, y'all have heard me say this, I'm standing right there, and I'm, I could not stop crying. I mean, the, the, the Lord just convicted me. Um, he just broke me, and, and, and I, I, the, the, I've never wept like that before, I don't think. And I went to the back, and they had this session back there where they do like the counseling to try to figure out what, you, what your decision is. And I couldn't talk. I, I could not talk. And I, and I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that that is when I got saved. You know, I know what it is. I, I, gave my life, I gave my life to the Lord that day. And I, and I didn't do it immediately, but after we had joined the church, Brother Carl might remember this, when we were in uh, Chalmette, um, I got baptized again. I don't know if you remember that, but the Lord just convicted me that I'm not saying you have to do it like this, but I had gotten baptized when I was 12, and I didn't really understand completely what it was I was doing. That means you can't. You can understand what you're doing at seven or eight years old. But for me, it really didn't, you know, I really didn't comprehend what I was doing. And then, I, you know, the Lord just said, you know, you, got, you really surrendered your life at 16. You know, the baptism should really come after you've had that complete understanding of what, what it is you've done. So, um, but, you know, as I look back, at my salvation experience, um, it, was not, it was not me being called to a religion or a religious ceremony. God wanted me. It's really what he wants. He, he doesn't want us in a, in a religion, in a religious setting, and just going to church. Really, when you look at the Bible and you read uh, the, the, the Bible and Christianity, Christianity is all about us giving ourselves to God. That, that's really what it, what it boils down to. And that's really the friction. That's the rub, because the flesh doesn't want to bow down to the things, to the things of God. But, but the day I gave my life to the Lord, the Lord reminded me I died that day. David died, and uh, we don't like to look at it that way. But that's that's what salvation really is all about. And if you think about it, the formula hasn't changed. The way we receive from the Lord is always through dying. That that's God's formula, and that's His blueprint in the Bible. So I titled the message today. Dying is the door to living. Dying is the door to living. And you know, if you look at the Bible, Jesus, Jesus died long before he went to the cross. You know, we read the Bible and say, well, Jesus died for the sins of the world. And yes, he did. He was crucified on the cross. But if you read the life of Christ, 
Christ gave up his life the moment he entered the earth. He, 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 he gave up his, his desires and his, his, his will to do anything that man would want to do, and he, he, he literally gave himself up for us. Um, before he died physically, Christ gave himself up for us. So um, the Bible says that Jesus was the son of man and he was the son of God. And that's important for us to understand that. Why did Jesus come as a man? Well, Jesus came as a man so he could identify with men. The Bible says that he could, he could identify with our weaknesses and Christ could understand and empathize with us what it was to live, to live like as a, as a man on the earth. So, so Christ, Christ was the son of man and he identified with us. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, it says that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And it's worth noting, if you, if you study the Gospels, Jesus' ministry on the earth didn't begin to after he fasted. In other words, and what, what was fasting? Well, fasting wasn't Jesus just saying, I don't want to eat anymore. Fasting was Jesus' way of saying, I'm crucifying this flesh. I, I, that, that's really what it's all about. And today, uh, this church has completed, a, we, we did a 14-day fast. Um, I, 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 I fasted probably more than I've done before with this. And, and I can tell you, if you've never done that before, God will do things, speak to you in ways that you've never heard from him before. If you really honor God with the fast, it's very biblical. I'm going to try to, next time we do this next year, I'm going to try to be a little bit more intentional with the teaching about it and really explain what that's all about. But, um, uh, you know, 40 days you know, Moses fasted 40 days, the Bible says. I can't imagine what that, that's supernatural for God to be able to sustain someone like that. But the revelation really came. But Jesus, by doing that, and then what, what, what does the Bible say? After Christ had fasted, then the Bible says the devil confronted Christ. And what did he do? He, he tried to tempt him. And then Jesus began to quote scripture. And one of the ones that he quoted to him is, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. If you've ever experienced fasting, you'll, you'll understand that. That'll make so much perfect sense. You'll be like, all of a sudden you realize, you know what? Yes, I need food to live, but I don't, I don't have to have food every day. Uh, but I need God every day. I need his word every day. And God will begin to really make that, you know, come alive. So, you know, we'll do, we'll do church-wide fast, but you don't have to wait for me to come before the church and say, look, I want to do a church-wide fast. If God impresses upon you, as a Christian individually, to do a fast, then do it. You know, whatever God leads you to do it, you don't have to wait for a corporate fast. Uh, God, God can do that. But, um, but Jesus was conquering his flesh. And as a man, Jesus understood that um, his flesh was opposed to everything that God wanted him to do on the earth. In other words, everything that God wanted him to do as, as the Messiah, the flesh was against that. So Jesus understood this flesh must die for me to do what it is that Christ, that the Lord has called me to do. So um, as I um, finish here today, complete this, just please hear me today. I've preached many messages on the flesh and dying to ourselves, but God has impressed me today to take dying to ourselves up a notch. And, and I'm just really asking, and I believe God's presence, I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit here this morning, but that God would really zone in and you would really take what I'm sharing with you very seriously and you would allow the Holy Spirit to investigate your heart and your life, just like I've allowed him to do to mine. And all of us here, myself included, we all have something 
at least one thing, we can come before God and say, you know what, God, that, that doesn't need to be there. <laughs> that's, that's something that can change. It could be an attitude, a bad attitude, sarcasm, uh, just multiple things that maybe we don't think of that are not pleasing to God. And so I, I'm just playing and believing that God is going to go deep today, and God's going to really go deep into each one of our spirits, and we're just going to truly give ourselves to God. And, um, but if Ruby wants to put that next slide up, um, if you think about it, our selfish desires and fleshly leans will prevent us from going where God wants us to go, doing what he has called us to do, and becoming what he wants us to be. And that, that's really, that's the, that's the obstacle. You know, a lot of times we, you know, we live our life and we want to love God and we want to get involved in church and do all those things, and we, we can think of a, a lot of excuses. I, I, I'm with you on that. But really when it boils down to it, the only obstacle that's really standing in the way of what it is that God wants to do in your life is you. That, that, that's really what, and that's a hard, that's hard to say that because we live in a society where everybody wants to push the blame for, for whatever's happening in our life on somebody else or something else. The last person that we want to hold accountable is ourselves. But when it, when you, when it really boils down to it, the only thing that's in the way is me. <laughs> that, that's, that's, really, that's, that's really what it boils down to. So um, I don't want this to be another, oh, yeah, this is another sermon about dying to your flesh sermon. I really want it to be where God really allows you just to, he, he opens up your, your mind and your heart to really expose yourself to him and let him have access into every area of your life. And, you know, really, um, the, the Holy Spirit, he, he wants access, and really for him to get that, you have to give him the key. You know, the, God's, a, God's a gentleman. He's not going to force himself on us, the Bible says. The Bible says God knocks at the door. He doesn't force his way in and open the door. He stands at the door and knocks, and the Bible says he waits for what? For us to open the door and let him in. That's a gentleman. That's a, that's a kind person. And, and so, but you have the key. And so God today, I believe, is asking for the key. He, he wants you to be able to say, God, here's the key. Here's the key to my heart. So um, when you think of the concept of death bringing life in the Bible, um, it's very, it, it's all throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, it's, all, it's all there. And when you study the Bible, you discover that God's design to give life always preceded death. And it doesn't make sense in the world we live in because we, we think life is life and life is life. But when you look at the Bible, death, death is life. In other words, something had to die for us to have life. And that's really been the principle that God has, has laid out for us all throughout the Bible. And um, see, the Bible says that sin brought death. And so for sin to be removed, something had to die. That, that, that was the blueprint that God was setting forth in the Old Testament and when God was giving the nation of Israel all the laws and all the requirements of the laws, the, for, for sin to be forgiven, something had to die. Well, it was animal sacrifices in the Old Testament that, that had to die, and those resulted in life. But if you go back and look at the Bible, you remember Adam and Eve, after they, after they had sinned, the Bible says, um, they, they felt ashamed. In other words, they, they were naked, the Bible says, when they, were, when they were created, and they were walking around the Garden of Eden, and they felt no no shame, but the Bible says as soon as they disobeyed God, then what came in? Sin. Sin came in. They disobeyed God's, God's uh, command. Sin came in. The Bible says they sowed uh, fig leaves on themselves. But if you read the passage, the Bible also says that God made garments of skin for them. So how did he get the garments of skin? 
something had to die. God, God sacrificed an animal. Blood was shed that Adam and Eve, and really if you think about it, it was almost like a way of announcing the gospel because with, with the death of that animal, God was covering their shame with the skin of the animal that was dead. So, so through the death of that animal, their shame was covered. And then y'all remember the story of Abraham and Isaac. God, God promised Isaac that he would be a father. He had no children. Uh, God gave him and his wife Sarah, and they were hundred in their hundreds, uh, a, a son named Isaac. And after Isaac was born, the Lord told Abraham to take your one and only son, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. That doesn't make any sense, that God would promise Abraham a son, and through this son would be, would be an heir that you would be that you would be, many descendants would come from the son, and that God is telling Abraham to take, to take this son, your only son, and sacrifice him. And if you read the story, um, Abraham had him tied to the altar. The wood was there. Everything was ready to go, and the Bible says Abraham had the knife. And, and if you read the account in Hebrews, for all practical purposes, Abraham did kill Isaac. He, in, his heart, in his heart, he had already reckoned that Isaac was dead. And whether it was that God was going to give him another son or God was going to raise Isaac from the dead, in Abraham's heart, he had killed, he killed, he killed his son, although God, although God spared him. And if you read the, the account after this had happened, the Lord, this is what God told uh, Abraham, it says, the Lord said, now I know you, Abraham, fear me, because you have not withheld your only son. Because of this, I will bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. So what do we see here? The, the call for God to call Abraham to bring death brought blessings. And God, now God realized that I have your heart now. I know that there's nothing that you'll never withhold from me. Now I'm willing to give you everything. I'm willing to bless you. And we are a result. We, we are descendants of Abraham, the Bible says. He was, a, he was our father of faith. And then the, the one that really drives it home with the, with the death that leads to life is the, is the story of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. And um, they were in Egypt. And remember, they were in Egyptian bondage. The Lord told Moses to come and to deliver my people from Egyptian bondage. And remember, God, uh, I was reading someone that this morning, God did all the plagues. He had the gnats and the, and the frogs and the flies and the hail and all these different things. Just one of those things would have been enough for me to tell God, the frogs would have been it for me. That, that would have been it. He said, the frogs was in your house, in your ovens, on your bed, covering your people. I've been like, that, that, that's enough. I don't, need, I don't want frogs all over me. That's, that's fine. I'm, I'm finished with you, but... But Pharaoh's heart, the Bible said, was hardened. And so God did the final plague, which is the plague of the, of the death of the firstborn, the firstborn sons. The Bible says in every place in Egypt there was not a house that, that a son had not, been, that had not been killed. From livestock to the, to the, to the uh, places, to, all the way to Pharaoh, a son was killed. And the Bible says at that point, then he let him go. So what, what it, and, and then the nation of Israel, they were living in the land of Goshen. All of the plagues that were happening in Egypt didn't affect Goshen. Because they were God's people. God, God was protecting them. And what did God tell the nation of Israel to do when, when he was bringing the death plea, the death angel over? To go sacrifice a lamb. To go, something had to die. See, for them to live, if they wouldn't have killed that lamb, they would have died. For them to live, something had to die. It was a lamb. And every lamb, every household, the Bible says, that killed the lamb, they took the blood and they, they put it on, around the uh, doorpost of the, of the door. And the Bible says when the death angel... When the death angel comes, I will see the blood, and I will do what? I will pass over. That's where we get the term Passover supper, or the Passover lamb. That, 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 that's what the Lord's Supper is. It's the, it's, the, it's the Passover. So the death of the lamb brought life, 
and deliverance. So death is the door to life for the believer. And again, this is not the message our flesh wants to hear. Our flesh doesn't want to hear about dying. All our flesh wants to hear about is how much living, how much living I can do. But the door that leads to life and blessing for the believer remains the same. It's dying to ourselves. So I want us to look at a passage that Jesus gave in John chapter 12. It's just two verses. It says, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And this is a short passage, but it's powerful. There's a lot of stuff here that Jesus had to say. But I want to point this out because this is another thing that's important, I think, for us to do when we're studying Scripture. When Jesus says, uh, very truly or verily, verily, some passage says, is very truly, obviously when Jesus is saying this, he's putting emphasis on whatever it is he's about to say. Like very, very truly, listen to what it is I'm about to say. So if that ever appears in Scripture, you probably need to pause for just a second and say, wait a minute, I really need to find out what it is that God's about to say. Now, obviously, everything that Jesus says is true, but this, has, this is more of an emphasis when Christ shares this. And what this is, it's not merely saying, believe me, this is true. He is actually saying, I know this is true firsthand. Since many of these comments are on heavenly, spiritual, or godly issues, Jesus' use of verily, verily, or, or very, very truly is part of his consistent claim of divinity. Jesus is not merely aware of these truths. He is the one who originated them. I love that. In other words, it's not like Jesus is saying, hey, listen to this. I just heard these people over here. They just said this. That very, very truly, if you do this, and so I'm just sharing what, what someone else said. No, Jesus, this is, Jesus came up with this. He, he originated this saying. So very, very truly, I'm telling you, this is true. Does that make sense? So obviously it's something that we need to, to zone in on and, and, and pay attention to. But if you look at this passage in verse 24, where it says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. Here what Jesus was doing is Jesus was predicting his death. And what he, what he was sharing with us is, Jesus was saying if he remained just as the Son of God only, like he stayed in heaven and remained where, where he was, his life would have been of no benefit to us. Now, Jesus would have still been awesome. He's the Son of God. Had he remained in heaven, he still would have been Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He would have been this most amazing person. He would have been the second person in the Trinity, part of creation, all of those different things. But if you think about it, if Christ would have remained just where he was in heaven, then he would have not been a benefit to us who were sitting, who were sitting in this auditorium here today. Um, his life would have never been a benefit to others. So think about this. Jesus' one seed, his, his, the one person, Jesus, that said, I'll give my life. I'll be obedient to the Father. And I'll give my life to die. Because of one man's decision to die, he saved millions upon millions of people. Think about that. that and that's what Jesus said. If I, if I remain a single seed, which he had every right to do so, then what benefit it is to anybody else? But if, but if this seed dies, if I'm willing to put this seed to death, then guess what the result's going to be? Many seeds. It's going to produce salvation, eternal life, just what you and I have experienced here, here this morning. And uh, Romans um, 5.15, I think, 
that's on the screen there. It says, but think about this. It says, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow the many? What is, who's the one man that's talking about there? It's talking about Adam. The Bible says if in Adam everybody dies, which is true, if we remain in Adam, we die, how much greater is the gift of God in Jesus Christ that if one man dies, we live? Isn't that amazing? That one, we think, well, one person, what can one person do? One person saved the world. Jesus was willing to sacrifice himself to save the world, the Bible says. So, but if you look at this passage in John, you notice what Jesus did here. He didn't just predict his death and say, if one seed dies, Jesus connected it to us. And then he said in verse 25, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So what is God talking about? That's death to ourselves. Jesus said, anybody, anyone who wants to come after me must do what? Must take up their cross. Not Jesus' cross, take up your cross. That cross is death to self. So, so that's what I'm going to look at in this passage here this morning. Um, and so look at the process that Jesus has given us in this passage. The first step that we see here is the step of surrender. It's surrender. And, uh, you know, really the act of surrendering, you know, many people are seated in churches all across America this morning. But I think the, act, the, the concept of surrendering in many people in those churches is probably foreign because they're only looking at it from a standpoint, I'm just fulfilling my duty by going to church but I really don't have to surrender anything. Well, all the while not understanding, it is, it is them that God wants. It, it is us that God, that God is looking for. So um, a religious person, a, a person who's religious, what that person does is they look at everybody else and say, he needs to change and she needs to change and they need to change and look how bad he is, look how bad she is, when God's saying, look how bad I am. That's really what it's all about. What did Jesus say? Take the... Take the log out of your eye before you notice the little tiny piece of sawdust in somebody else's eye. It's, it's, it's about us. God wants your heart. God wants my, my, my heart. So um, we, Christianity says, I must be the one that's willing to change. That, that's what separates religion from Christianity is, is you and I surrendering ourselves to the Holy Spirit and, and giving God access to come in and change us. So God gave me this revelation when I was 16 years old. I, I understood at least that much what it was that God was telling me, that God wanted me. He wanted David to surrender himself to him. doesn't mean I was perfect at that point. I wasn't. But at that moment, at the age of 16, I gave God access to my life. I, I surrendered who I was to the, to the lordship of Jesus Christ, to the leading of the Holy Spirit. I said, God, I'm giving you access to, to, to who I am. That's what it is that God wants. He, wants. he wants that in surrender. So when you think about surrender, and this is true even in the natural sense of surrendering, what, what, when we surrender to someone, what do we do? Well, we give up our rights. If you surrender to someone in law enforcement, you don't have any rights. A lot of times they got, they got you in handcuffs. You're handcuffed, you're, you're let away, you're, you're put in, in, in prison. You, you, you forfeit, you surrender, you surrender your rights. Well, the same thing is true for us as believers. When we, when we give our lives to Jesus Christ, we surrender our rights. He has a right now to do whatever he chooses to do in our lives. The next thing is we forfeit our right to argue. 
and, and this is so true, and, now, and Christians are good at this. We take the Bible and we pick it apart and we, we try to analyze it, and, and that's good. We should study and all that kind of stuff, but we try to really say, well, you know, this is the interpretation that I believe, that this is the way I see this. And I know you don't see it like that, but this is just how I see it. This is my interpretation. And we, sometimes we argue. We might argue with each other, other Christians, or we might, we might argue with God. And really, when you surrender yourself to God, you've given up really your right to argue with God. You're telling God, God, basically what you're saying is, God, you're right, and I'm wrong. That was such a huge revelation for me. When God just told me, it's like, like basically, in any time there's ever going to be any argument or any debate, here's going to be the final conclusion. God is right, and you're wrong. So you may as well just accept that now. That's just how it is. So instead of arguing with the Scripture and trying to make the Scripture fit the way you believe it should fit to maybe satisfy your lifestyle or whatever, why don't you just sit back for a moment and really check yourself and say, God, have I really surrendered my life to you? Am I really surrendering my heart in such a way that whatever your Holy Spirit shows me, I'm going I'm to obey that? That's another level. See, we don't, we don't argue with God. Yes, we, can, we study the scriptures. We want to we dive into that, that. But we want revelation from the Holy Spirit that God reveals to us what it is that his Holy Spirit is saying to us. So we, make, we come to the conclusion that God is right and, and I am wrong. So, you know, the best analogy of, of surrender, and God showed me this when we joined the church in, um, in Chalmette at the Pentecostal church, well, it was Assembly of God at the time when we joined it. In the Baptist church, we didn't raise our hands. Um, we weren't told we couldn't do it, but we weren't told we could. So even if you felt inclined to do it, you, you, just, you didn't feel like you had the freedom to do it. And I, I shared this story. I worked, you know, the Holy Spirit came, came upon me in the, in the services and said, you know, God really wanted me to raise my hands. And I started off with one hand. And then I got really bold and I said, you know what, I can actually do two hands. And, and the Bible says raise holy hands to the Lord. It's, it's a biblical concept what we do. But for the first time, the concept of surrender really hit me because when I had my hands up, it dawned on me that this is what it would be like if I was ever arrested. That what, is, what do they tell you to do? Put your hands up. Why? So you can't, you, you, you're defenseless. You can't grab a weapon. You can't grab a gun. You can't, you can't do anything. You, your hands are up. And, and to me, that just was so clear in the spiritual realm that that's what we do spiritually. We surrender. And we're defenseless. And God's in charge. And God leads us where he wants us to go and tells us what he wants us to tell us. And, and we're, just, we're just, our hands are just up, and God, I'm just going wherever you lead me. That's what surrender is. And that's the place that God wants us to become as, as Christians, is to, um, is to surrender, is surrender to him. Romans 10, 9 and 10, we share this with people when they, when they pray to receive Christ. It says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So what are we declaring with our mouth? Jesus is Lord. That's surrendering. Because guess who was Lord before we declared he was Lord? I was. David was on the throne. That Nobody was going to tell David what to do, where to go, how to act. But all of a sudden, when you, when you open up your mouth and you declare Jesus is Lord, then what have you done? You surrendered. You surrendered, your Lord, you surrendered the lordship of your, to, to Christ. So some Christians, 
they've done these things, but we don't even really realize what it is we've done. And that's what I said in the beginning. God had me kind of go back and trace my roots of what it was that God was showing me when I was first saved. And one of the very first things he showed me is you, you need to surrender. That's, that's a huge element in Christianity is, is surrendering. Um, so the next step in dying um, that we see that Jesus is teaching us is, is sacrifice. Um, see, Jesus first needed to surrender his life to the will of the Father, and we know he did that. The Bible says in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was praying, what did Jesus pray? Father, not my will, but yours be done. And he was a man, so any man would say this, if there was any possible way, God, that you can prevent me from having to go to the cross, if there's another way, Lord, make it happen, but nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. He was surrendered. So now that Christ was surrendered, what was the next step? Obedience. When you surrender, now you're telling God, I'm willing to obey you. Well, that's what Jesus did. He surrendered his life to the will of the Father. The Bible says there wasn't a single thing that Jesus did or said that the Father did not lead him to say or do. He was completely under the control of the Father, if you read the Gospels and how Christ, how, how Christ shared that. So, um, so what was the Father's will? That he die as a lamb, that he suffer as a, as, a lamb, as a lamb of God for what? For the sins of the whole world. That was God's will, and Jesus said, you know what? I'm ready to do that. What, what a sacrifice. What a, what a price that he was willing, that he was willing, to, that, that he was willing to pay. But he, he understood that he had no right to debate that he had already surrendered or forfeited his will to the Father. So real living for the believer is attached to our willingness to sacrifice our fleshly desires. See, once you surrender to God, now what, what have you done? You surrendered your life to him and saying, God, I want to live according to what your word says now. I'm giving you access into my life. This is what I've, what, what I've, what I've done. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. This, if you're a Christian in this room this morning, this verse is talking to you. You're the brothers and the sisters. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, perfect, and pleasing will. That's what God's desire is. We become living sacrifices. God doesn't want us to go nail ourselves on the cross like Jesus did. That's not what he's talking about. We're a living sacrifice. We're living in this flesh, but we're denying the flesh. We're putting to death the fleshly desires. We're, we're sacrificing this. And, 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 and the Bible also says, in, in Romans, it says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? D did you know that? That's how Paul said that. Don't, don't, don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone to obey him as a slave, you are slaves to the one you obey? That's us. That's what you've done. You, you've offered yourself and said, I'm a slave to God now. I'm a, I'm a slave to the Holy Spirit and, and to his word. And um, that's what God wants for us. Is, to, is allow God to come in and show you. God, the whole, if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, that Holy Spirit is always speaking in your ear. Always. And you know the voice, if you've been a Christian, you, you recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit. And how do we recognize the voice? Because the voice of the Holy Spirit will always tell us what the Word of God says. It will never contradict what the Word of God says. And so when the voice is speaking to us, and maybe it's prying at us or convicting us or, or trying to 
push us away or do something with us. We have a choice. We can either listen and obey the voice or we can listen and reject the voice. The only way we're ever going to change and become what God wants us to become is when we start listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit and say, God, I, I, I give, I, you're right. That, that's an area i got to clean up in my life. That, that's in my heart. That, those words came out of my mouth, that gossip, that criticism, that critical spirit, that, that, that burst of anger, uh, multiple different things that, that, that the flesh can just, can just rise up. You can say, you know what? You're right, Holy Spirit. I, that was me, and I need to change that. See, and that's where real dying begins to take place. That, that's when God really begins to change us and really begins to shape us and mold us. And really this process of sacrifice, the Bible calls sanctification. And it's a big fancy word for really saying sanctification is separation. You separate yourself. It's, it's separating yourselves from the things of the world. And just what Jesus said, whoever hates his life in this world, that's what we do as Christians. What, what are we hating? We're hating the things the world hates. And we're loving the things God loves. So we, we, we hate this life. We, so we sanctify ourselves. We do what? We separate ourselves from the things of the world. We don't go where they go. We don't talk the way they talk. We don't look at the things they look at. We, we, we sanctify. We set ourselves apart unto holiness, the Bible says. That, that's what you have done if you call yourself a Christian. That's the process that you've told God. He's, he's, uh, he's, you've given him access to come and to, to start that process in your life. So um, I really want the Holy Spirit to go deep. And I pray as I'm speaking these words, even now as I'm speaking, and I can't convict you, I'm, I'm speaking the word. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking the word that God has given me. I'm sharing the truth of what the Bible says. But, but really, the real change comes when the word is spoken, then the ears hear it, and then what happens? Then the conviction comes. The Holy Spirit comes and says, you're right. I'm wrong. I'm bad. I need, I need to change. And whatever that is, that's, that's what I'm praying. So, again, this is the essence, really, of, of Christianity, is letting God take away anything from, from our lives that is not pleasing to him. And then the next thing we see here is the beautiful result of the picture that Jesus has given us here. In verse 24, Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So what's the next thing we see here is we see seeds. We see fruit. We see, a, we see, we see a, a, an outflow. And See, just as the death of Jesus is one seed, his life, just as the, when he was willing to die and give up his one seed, many, many benefited benefit from that. So too, when you and I are willing to sacrifice ourselves, our seed, so too many will benefit from that. It's the same, it's the same process. So um, when you read this, um, this passage here and the, the, the verse there where it says, um, if it, it remains only a single seed, other translations say, if it, if it remains by itself, or it says, if it remains alone. And as I was reading that, the Lord kind of showed me with this, that really, when you look at this, it's got a, it's got a selfish uh, concept to this, in the sense that, you know, if we, just, if we just stay the way we are, like David just says, you know what, David is just going to stay David. I'm never changing, I'm never going to learn anything, I'm never going to obey God's word, I'm just, David's going to... I, I, the, who's the only person that David's going to benefit? David. Nobody else will, will benefit from that. But if I am willing to set aside my selfish desires, my selfish motives, my selfish leans, all those different things, and die to self, and die, and die to my flesh, 
and, and really just die to self, and God resurrects me now, what, who am I going to be a benefit to? I'm going to benefit others. I'm going to be more sensitive to the needs of other people. I'm going to be more aware of the needs of other people. Uh, salvation is a, bit, is a big, big part of that. If, if we just remain alone and remain who we are without God causing us to die to ourselves, we'll never have a heart, just like I shared last week, to go after lost people. Because the only person we'll be thinking about is us. So the same concept works for us. God, God removes, that, removes that selfish spirit. In Galatians 6.14, it says, as for me, however, this is Paul speaking, I will boast only about the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. For by means of his cross, the world is dead to me, and I am dead to the world. That, that, that sums it up. Uh, that the world is dead to me. There's nothing in that world that, that I want, that, that, I, that, I, that I desire, and I am dead. I don't have any desires for it. Uh, the world's dead to me, and I am dead to the world. That, that's really the essence. So when you think of the the benefits of dying to ourselves, placing the seed in the ground like Jesus did. That's what God is asking us to do in a, as an analogy, that we take our lives and we bury, we bury our lives. We, we place ourselves in the ground. We die to ourselves. Then look what, the, look what we benefit. The benefits of dying to ourselves, we please God. You're not going to please God if you, if you remain the way you are. You're not going to please God. We are more pleasing to others. I know my family could probably testify that they'd rather they'd rather David a sacrifice David that's dying that's dying to himself than a David that's not willing to sacrifice anything. My family would much rather the one that's dying. I promise you. And so would your family, your husband, your wife, your children, your co-workers. You're a benefit to others when you die to yourself. And then I said this earlier: we are kingdom-minded. We we produce fruit. We we become fruitful if you stay as you are, remain single, remain as you are, then you're just selfish. You're selfish-minded, but as you die to yourself, you become what? You become fruitful. You become productive. You produce more, the Bible says, and then we produce fruit both in our lives and in God's kingdom. See? That's the concept. So Jesus was painting a beautiful picture here. He first told us that for me to be a benefit to you, I'm going to have to die. If this seed remains just a single seed, it's not going to accomplish anything. But if I'm willing to take this seed, this one seed, and plant it in the ground and die, then the Bible says God will resurrect me, and because of that one seed's death, many, many more seeds will be produced. We are a result of that here this morning in this room if we've accepted Jesus Christ. So God, that's what God wants from us this morning. I'm just going to ask you to stand to your feet. God wants, he wants our seed. He wants you. <laughs> that's what God wants. He He's glad that you came today. I'm very glad that you came today. I, want this, I said this. I want this house full. We get this place full, we'll build another one. That, that God, that's God's desire. But really, more than this house being full, God wants you. He wants your heart. He wants your life. He wants all of those things that, that interfere with us becoming all it is that God has called us to be. Amen.